Do you like a good mystery? How many of you ever have played a mystery dinner? You know, where you dress up in character. My wife and I have done that. My precious Donna and I have gone. And uh, we actually had a friend who writes them. And so we went to a special mystery dinner at a mansion on Lake Harriet. And you know what I discovered? In every one of the ones we've ever played, the key to solving the mystery. And this is the key. You can write it down. If you ever get invited, here is the key. You can unlock every mystery by doing this one thing. Asking the right questions. If you ask the wrong questions, you'll never unlock the mystery. But when you ask the right questions, the mystery solves itself. Isn't that the way it is with life? When we ask the right questions, things tend to unlock. The same is true in our pursuit of Christ. We must always ask the right question. But the question is, what is the right question? Today, as we continue our series on the solas, we come to by... Christ alone. Justification, salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. We're going to focus on in Christ alone and what that means. In Christ alone. What a glorious statement. I want you to think about that. It is the pillar upon which faith and grace rest. For it is Christ's grace that saves us. It is faith in Christ that we must place. The Father and the Spirit are glorified by the work of Christ and they glorify in Him. He is the living Word of God upon which the written Word rests. The great test to know if a group is practicing true faith of the Bible is this statement. Do they believe in Christ alone? Or do they believe in Christ and something else? Do they believe in Christ plus? Or do they just believe in Christ alone? You see, true faith puts its trust in Christ alone. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 2. There are so many wonderful passages about Christ alone that we could look at. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15 just has this amazing passage about the beauty of Christ. But I want to direct us to a very human passage about Christ. A passage that asks a question 
about Christ. A passage of a man in turmoil. A man asking his own questions. Because I think that's where many of us live. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 2. And we read, now when John, and this is John the baptizer, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who has come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Notice that we have two right questions being asked. Two amazing questions. Now, this is John the baptizer. He's in prison. He's been the one preaching to huge crowds, speaking out against the sin of Herod and the Jewish religious system. He's the one who put in his support for Jesus openly and even sent some of his disciples to follow Jesus. He baptized Jesus, but Herod squashed him like a bug, threw him in prison, and now he's forgotten. His life is now hanging by a thread. He is one dance away from losing his head. He's suffering. He's discouraged. He may be thinking, I've thrown my lot in with Jesus as Messiah, and this is what I get? Don't I deserve better? Don't I get more than this? Secondly, he had heard what Jesus is preaching and doing. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I've got to break the news to you. Jesus is not safe. Jesus is offensive. He says things, and he was saying things in that day like, my father and I are one. Before Abraham was, I am. I've sent prophets, meaning that I'm eternal. But he's not building up an army. He's not gaining political power. But he's angering those who have both. He's equating himself with God. But he's not safe. He's offensive. So John's saying, I've got problems, and Jesus isn't safe. He offends me. So like our world, I hear people tell me, Pastor, I can't follow Jesus. You don't know the problems I have. Or if Jesus was real, He should do something about the problems in this world. He should do something about the the things that are going on. 
Or if Jesus is real, his words are offensive. He's exclusive. He insists that he's the only one. He's the only way to God. And friends, if you actually ever read the words of Jesus in the Bible, you have a person who, on one hand, you could say is crazy, narcissist, who's a very evil man, or he's something else. So since people won't accept something else, they ignore the words in the Bible, pick a few here and there, and try to make him a good teacher, a kind man, a lover of people, a first century Mr. Rogers. But it doesn't work. You see, the Jesus of the Bible won't let us do that. Because of that, people in our time look at Jesus and they turn away, offended, but that's nothing new. So what are these questions? What are the right questions? And what do those questions teach? First, the right questions. Are you the one? Are you the one? And do we keep looking? Are you the one? Are you the one? With that, do not try to understand yourself before you understand Him and who He is. This is important. So often, we're like not John the baptizer who comes and says, are you the one? But we're like the first thief on the cross. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? Remember the first thief? If you're you're the Christ, get us off. Prove it. Take us off the cross. Come on. Get us down from here. Now this is powerful. Here's what that thief was saying. I know what's best for me. I know how my life should be. I'm in charge. So Jesus, I'll believe in you if you do what I want and enable me to have the life I want and you serve me. How often are we like that? How many people are like that? Jesus, I'll follow you if you fix my drinking problem. If you fix my marriage, I'll follow you. If you fix my problem at work, I'll follow you. Fix my finances, fix my family, fix my fill-in-the-blank, I'll follow you. Prove yourself and give me the power to live my life the way I want to live it, and I'll follow you. I know how I should live my life. But Jesus says something totally different. Jesus says, that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. 
ask me if I'm the one. You cannot know how to live your life or what you need unless you first know if Jesus is the one, the creator God of the universe, the author of life. Because if he's who he says he is, that changes everything. All bets are off. You then find out what you were made for. You then find out the journey God has created you to travel. You then find out who he is and where you fall under his direction. And that this world you've created in your mind on how it should go doesn't really work that way. Go back to John. If Jesus is not the one, then yes, getting out of prison is the number one thing John needs. Yep. But if Jesus is the one, then prison isn't the issue. Because his future rests in the hands of his creator and his will for John's life. John could be set free or stay in prison because whatever the one would ask of him would be a tiny thing compared to what Jesus will ultimately give him. Whatever sacrifice Jesus asks of him will ultimately bring glory. It is the wisest thing that John can do. It is the most sensible thing that John can do. It is the thing that will always be right and that is to do what Jesus asks of him. If Jesus is the one. And the same is true for us. Because if Jesus isn't the one, then he can't help you. It's that simple. If Jesus isn't the one, he can't help you. But if he is, but he, if he is, then why not bow your knee and call him your Lord? I think the reason why a lot of people seeking Jesus say they have never gotten any answers from him is because they have been coming to him like the thief. They come making demands. They come to Jesus giving him orders. They say, you do this or else. And when you say it, doesn't it sound like a threat? Jesus, you better do this. That's not the way he works. Giving him a demand. You perform for me and give me what I want because I've got it all figured out. You don't want the creator, God of the universe. You want a genie. And when you come with conditions, you're not really asking questions, are you? But if you ask the right question without conditions, 
are you the one, everything changes. When I discover he is the one, my perspectives start to change on what I call my problems. When I discover he is the one, I find out I'm not really in charge of my life, but need to yield to someone greater. And it all begins with the right question. Are you the one? John then asks a second question. Do we keep looking? Notice he didn't say, are you the one? If not, we'll give up. John knows the human heart. He knows how it's built. It's your heart is built to find the one. It wants the one. If it can't find the one, it will substitute other things for the one. If we reject him, we will find something or someone to fill the void. I want you to think of every single love song that has been written. I mean, think about them. You are my world. You are my everything. I can't live without you. Without you, what good am I? What good am I? What is that saying? I got to find a one. And that one might be making money. It might be the woman who devotes herself to fitness, the person who devotes themselves to their family as their life, or a cause, or something else, so that nothing else matters. But hear me, friend. If you reject Jesus, you will have to make something else your Jesus. It may be simply a dream, but another Jesus will control your life. But that Jesus will be fake. And that Jesus won't be able to deliver. Now I want you to listen to Jesus' response. He begins with the strangest blessing. Blessed are the offended who aren't offended. Look, look what he says. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. In one sense, he's saying, John, you're offended by me. Move on. Don't be offended. I'm not safe, John. I'm not uncontroversial. I'm not just a prophet, John. I am the incarnate Son of God. Remember, John, you said I was the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. 
Jesus made other statements to his uniqueness. And people were offended by his uniqueness. He said, I am the Son of God in Matthew 26, 63. He said, I am the great I am in John 8, 58. In John 10, he said, he gave eternal life and was one with the Father. In John 5, he would say he was the future judge of the world. In John 3, he called himself the Savior. In John 4, he calls himself the Messiah. Those are pretty unique statements. And they caused offense. But he also became exclusive. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Elsewhere, he says to reject him is to reject the Father. That's offensive. He says, I am Christ alone. Today's world is offended by that. What do you mean, Jesus? You're the way, the truth, and the life. To reject you is to reject God. To reject you. What do you mean you're eternal? Either you're a lunatic, a narcissist, an evil incarnate, or you're something else. Or you're who you say you are. And if he is who he says he is, then everything changes. If Jesus is who he says he is, then he has the right to ask John anything. He has the right to commitment, and that commitment is the right for limitless commitment. John must bow before him, and prison or dying no longer would matter. John could tell that the teaching of Jesus and the way of Jesus was leading somewhere. And the third offense would be to be offended by the cross. John could tell that Jesus was leading to a cross. Jesus was not gathering power. He was not gathering an army. He was making the wrong people angry. His mission was different than anything the world had experienced. But the cross is, of, is offensive. It's, it, it's the gift that nobody wants, but everybody needs. It, it speaks to our deepest need. It's both elegant and uncouth. It touches that part of us that's most sensitive. It's like a husband giving his wife a diet book on her birthday. Or a wife giving her husband a book on how to become a good husband on their anniversary. It might be needed, but it sure isn't wanted. We do not want to admit our dire need of the cross our dire need for a Savior, our dire need to deal with sin, but that is what the cross does for us. The offensive cross also demonstrates to us what real love is. While we were in rebellion, while we were rejecting, while we were running from Him in our sin, Christ dies for us to show love, 
to show how that magnifies love. Take away the cross, you take away offense. Have the Jesus of that the world presents as a Jesus who just loves everybody and just loves everybody the way they are and that love costs nothing. And if that were true, you wouldn't have Jesus, you'd have Mr. Rogers. Why would they crucify Mr. Rogers? And that love does, that, as heartwarming as, as a love that just loves me as I am, and that's wonderful. That type of love doesn't change me. But a love that had to pay a price. A love that went the distance for me. A love that went as far as it could go. That love transforms. The offense of the cross changes me. It transforms me. It's a powerful love. It's the love of a Savior who died in my place. If you have a sentimental Jesus, you're not looking at the real Jesus. If you take offense at Jesus and stay there, you're not looking at the real Jesus and all the evidence he shows. In fact, Jesus' next response is, look at the evidence. He says, go back and tell. And what he was saying was, look at the prophecies I've fulfilled. You see, everything he said, the people that were healed, the blind, the lame, the people raised from the dead, that was all a fulfillment of prophecy. I'm not a megalomaniac. I'm not a narcissist. I'm fulfilling prophecy. He said, I've set people free. I've set them free from death. I've set them free from physical illness. And then he said, I preached the good news to the poor. You see, if, if Jesus were simply just a megalomaniac or evil man out to set up his own name he wouldn't go to the poor he would go to the rich he would oppress the poor but Jesus went to the people who needed to be set free and he gave them the gospel Jesus said, I've just proved who I am. I am God incarnate. John, be changed by me.
There it goes. And blessed is the one who is not offended. Scott, I am way ahead of schedule, so you might send your person to do what they need to do. For the one who says, Jesus, you are the one, is the one who comes without conditions. Who kneels before him and sees what happens when Christ alone rules the hearts. In the doctrine of in Christ alone is so beautiful because you are, are not offended but blessed. On the outside, Jesus says, I'm unique. I'm God incarnate. I am the creator God. I am the way, the truth, and life. I have given you the gift, the cross, that declares your need. The need that you have to trust in me and my work on the cross. And the great exchange that had to take place. The exchange where you placed your sin on me and my righteousness is placed on you. Oh friend, I beg of you today, will you ask the right question? Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one? And if you do, he will meet you. And he will answer that question. And friend, if, if, if you reject him, I want you to know you're going to keep looking. You'll keep looking until you fill that spot with something else. Oh, friend, ask the right question to get the right 